Hello and welcome to another episode of Connected Sounds. Throughout today's episode, Erin and I speak about some of her earliest memories and how they've affected her most recent songs, including her experiences living in the American South, voter suppression, her sexuality and racial identity. So I'd advise you stick around, buddy boy, and enjoy the episode. Please keep in mind that this episode was recorded a couple of weeks slash months ago, so we may speak about past activities and events. So how are you, because Nashville, the music, the music, the city of music, how is the non-touring life? It is, well, it's good, it's good. But yeah, to to clarify, non-touring due to COVID. I try not to bring up, you know, the word because <laughs> every everyone starts it on the on the touring side. But I know that Nashville, you know, has such a huge and prominent music scene that, and with cities just in general, it's very strange when that just shuts down. I know. I mean, downtown Nashville has pretty much still been open, and yeah. musicians. There are musicians that, uh, like. Are like the that's their main job is to play at the, the honky tonks and so because like Tennessee doesn't even have a mask mandate as a state the city of Nashville does so like the downtown music scene is still in existence strangely oh wow is there a crowd that is it popular oh yeah <laughs> it's like shocking but yeah all of us. On the outs- like outside of that scene, you know, I've pretty much just been grounded. Is it giving you time to write? Yeah, right before the pandemic, it was like time to s- start planning a record. So I started to do some demos and then everything, you know, went on a significant pause. So now there's a plan and I'm, yeah, going to work on one at the end of the month. Because your last album release was in 2018, putting on airs. Can you tell us a little bit about, because I, I could I could give a lovely description, but it's probably best coming from yourself. So yeah, we recorded that record, me and Jerry Bernhardt and Dan Nobler and Dom Billet. It was the four of us. We got to record this record. Um, it was a collection of songs that primarily... I don't know, I had had a few years to write them over time, and prior to that I had a record come out in 2015, and so it was like a a lot of the subject matter is like, uh, you know, questions of sexuality and self-acceptance, kind of reckoning with, you know, attachment style issues, uh, patterns of behavior, and, you know, relationships. Uh, the usual stuff but well I knew specifically that like Bad Mind felt heavy to me as a song to like perform (laughs) Uh, and you know it was Jerry that was like I was like yeah I don't you know I sent him the song and I was like I don't know like it feels weird to like expose other people to that Um, like invite other people into that like just, you know, just that state of neurosis or whatever. But he's like, no, it's my favorite song. It's my favorite Aaron McCall. He was just like super encouraging and supportive of that. And then we had this beautiful space that we were able to record in. And I didn't, I didn't really know what, what our end 
result would be, you know, like as far as like the completed thing, but I'm so grateful for how it turned out. Yeah, and you picked some beautiful, work with some beautiful musicians. Yes. Um, and obviously it came from your songs initially. <laughs> so with, with because you, you said that Bad Mind, which is an extremely popular song within the record, and it, it seems as though it's done really well in the sense of listeners, um, that there was hesitation at first. After coming to terms with it and finishing the song and performing it, was there less hesitation or has that kind of stuck with you? Now, for the most part, I feel like confident sharing it and feel good about the song. There's still, it's like, depending on what town I'm in, in the South or like what the venue is like, is this going to be received? How, like, how is this going to be received? But, you know, in that case, it's kind of like, that's not up to me to, to control. And before we go more into Bad Mind, can you kind of tell the listeners what the premise of the song, I suppose? So yeah, this song, I grew up in the South, I grew up in Tennessee. It's, the song is basically about just reckoning with, I've, I've had a starting from a fairly young age like was afraid to be gay like before I even was at the age of understanding like who I was attracted to it was like right around that time because I, I I had been around you know been in Jackson Tennessee and it was like the era of like people calling things gay <laughs> mm -hmm. and my um my mom's sister uh lost custody of her daughter who is my same age in the 90s uh like on the grounds of like in it was a state of alabama on the grounds of it of the state not seeing our homosexual lifestyle as like appropriate to expose a child to and so you know I, there was i just heard there was like a, it went all the way to the alabama supreme court and i heard a lot about it from like ages like six or seven to you know, my whole life. She lost custody of my cousin. She never got to wake up at her house on Christmas. She could, like, could only visit when my aunt's partner uh, was away. Like she would have to leave the house uh, for the weekend when she would come for visits. And so, you know, I think there was just like a hypervigilance that formed. And so as like a mid twenties, you know, version of myself, fast forward. Yeah, Bad Mind is like me literally basically praying <laughs> to just like re release and acknowledge, like acknowledge and release the, the spheres and allow like true feelings to surface. Maybe because they took her think um, this is the situation that happened with your aunt and cousin it's it's awful and traumatic I can imagine especially for them and people who are involved but it's it can subconsciously affect people around people around the situation as well in the sense of you it must have I mean I, I don't know what that does to a six-year-old who is maybe coming to terms or thinking about um, sexual fluidity and and their sexuality yeah I think at the you know at the time I like basically didn't 
have awareness of what mine was. So it was kind of like before I had a chance to like explore or begin to understand what is happening for me internally. I was just aware of all these labels and like bad, like it's just like you don't want to be that. And also just like, you know, precocious kid, the fear, just a fear of being rejected in general. I think that's like a, just a self-conscious kind of kid, I guess. Before I got to have those formative experiences of my own, I already had this like backlog of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, information about, mm-hmm. you know, ways that it was perceived by the world or by, yeah. you know, the South thing. Does it, is it hard to speak about? It's not now. I think what I'm conscious of now is just that, yes, I had my own experience of their experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've talked to, I've talked to my aunt about it and she, you know, she was like, no, I mean, it, it happened, it happened to you as well. Like to just like be in that environment, that's like some of the fallout. At younger, younger me, even a couple years ago or last year, you know, she, she would, I grew up in a household of like with a therapist mom and we were, you know, emotional health is like something we always talked about. And so, uh, it's like occurred to me later on in life that not everyone operates that way, <laughs> you know? And so that's um, not as like that specifically, it's just more like a general, like, don't want to overshare, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like even to depersonalize it and just take the facts of like the, what happened, that it, that that happened in not that long ago, like, mm-hmm. you know, in 1998 and just still clearly how much we have to like fight for human rights. I feel like it's an important story for people to be aware of. And maybe that's a way to spread the word that like this harms people deeply. (laughs) After listening to the song, I kind of looked into the US legality for LGBTQ plus rights and more directly in the Southern, because you mention quite, quite a lot in songs, kind of your Southern background and you know, living in the South. Um, and actually I found that there are more LGBTQ plus couples in the South than there are in anywhere else in the US. I found that out, like, I think re- somewhat recently, like, I don't know, that there, maybe it was through that account, Queer Appalachia. But yeah, I, lo- I loved hearing that. Like Atlanta, I know Memphis has a huge, uh, you know, gay community. And yeah, it's yeah. cool. But it, also then struck me I I kept reading and despite the fact that there are more LGBTQ plus people in the south there are also more laws that restrict um, people from adopting in the south from all sorts of of awful excuses to kind of give where you can actually make a bias decision of no we're not going to for this specific reason how do you feel that the south has has progressed with regards to LGBTQ plus rights? Um, I don't know if I know enough to speak to that like fully, but earlier this week, TJ Osborne from the Osborne mm-hmm. brothers, uh, or brothers Osborne, <laughs> there's two different men, brothers mm-hmm. Osborne, uh, you know, publicly came out in times in time magazine and, that to me that speaks to more of an alignment with like yeah just finally enough 
uh, change is happening so that, you know, he's safe to do that and that he's supported by his label and team and everything. It's like, that's a, a magical, I mean, sadly it's, it's, it's taken as long as it has for that to be okay, but like to be safe, even. to be safe. Yeah. And like, he's not going to get dropped from his label because of that. That's, um, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And I will say like, just there's, I'm ha- I've had a couple like really cool experiences just reminders because I think sometimes too what can happen is like the majority of what we're processing all, all the time is like what needs to change still in our world which for good reason obviously and but I notice that I start to you know my perception can get skewed as to like to, to overlook these like little communities that are that are just really special and where people are able to be themselves in places that you wouldn't think that they are. Like I got to play this show called um, The Sweetheart Jamboree in uh, Irvine, Kentucky. And it was like the most inclusive bill uh, I've ever been on. It was the coolest thing. I didn't know what I was walking into. And so, and things like that, and there's this little bookstore in Water Valley, Mississippi, which is outside of Oxford. It's a LGBTQ, um, it's like a, just a progressive bookstore called Violet Valley Books, you know, in a very red state, that little place thrives, you know, and is such a resource. And so people have carved out safe spaces and, um, you know, I just think there's still, there is still a lot of work to do. I mean, you were speaking earlier about um, your song Bad Mind and how in certain audiences you might refrain from um, playing it or or explaining. I heard an interview, um, you said that sometimes you explain it um, as an anxiety song and other times you'll go into more depth. Yeah, I guess the internal conflict exists. I'm always like, oh, I'm going to make these people uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I sometimes I'm just like I don't know if right now is the moment to like subject them to like this experience, this inner experience, and like clearly these people are just like here to have a good time. I'll just play the other songs about mental illness. (laughs) On bad mind, one of the first things that stuck out was towards the beginning of the song and it said hope nobody's home later so I can talk to God out loud that kind of made me think the the balance between sexuality and LGBTQ plus and and religion and coming to terms with both of them yeah fortunate I mean I didn't I didn't grow up we went to like a lot of different kind of new agey churches growing up that are very inclusive. Um, if we did go to church at all, my parents have both had a, like a spiritual practice of some kind, like throughout my life. And whether that's through like 12 step recovery or my dad has uh, done like TM meditation as long as I can remember. And my mom grew up, I think my mom grew up in Birmingham and, and like going to the Baptist church with her family and like, but now 
is Buddhist, and um, fortunately, God to to me is like can can be representative of just like a, a it's very for to each his own or her own, you know. It's kind of just like a a, a presence larger than myself is how I understand it, and I feel very fortunate that my experience of a higher power was not. Like, I didn't grow up in a super conservative church that was, like, anti-gay or anything. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I have a lot of friends who did. And that's, like, continues to be part of their journey. It's, like, reconciling, like, their faith with who they are, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I feel, yeah, I feel fortunate that I didn't get that doctrine of, like, other than, like, societally, my the spiritual side of things stayed pretty clear of that like negative judgment which I'm so grateful for but I knew I was very aware that it exists though you know for a for like the majority of my peers it's like lots of friends like especially when I would share like with with friends here in Nashville like about and this may be just like a straight person thing where like there's kind of an assumption that like, oh, you just like will find the right man. <laughs> and like Yeah. <laughs> and or just like maybe it's a phase or like, yeah, I support you and you're in like you're like I love you as a person, but like not believing in there you know, just like an element of like so you believe that this is a sin that I'm talking about but you support me as a friend. So there's like that undertone. I feel like you'll hear you hear this a lot in this part of the country, but I'm more spiritual than I am religious. Because I, I don't, like, there's not a church. I don't go to church, you know, but I, I have, like, spiritual practice or whatever that I'm slowly working yeah. on. Can you go into a bit more depth of, of spiritual practice? Yeah, I mean, it's like a new, not new. It's just been a very, it started out extremely vague. As just like an idea and uh that I I don't know I I just basically it's just that I like pray <laughs> I pray and meditate and um sometimes <laughs> and occasionally um, yeah and so like yeah and it usually takes me getting to the point of like being extremely uncomfortable to finally be like okay I'm gonna do I'm gonna sit quietly for 20 minutes I surrender to like because I know that that works to like calm my nervous system to allow you know it's like not only just like the spiritual side but even just like biologically like but yeah I guess like the primary source of my spirituality comes from uh, like a 12-step community you know a lot of it is self-defined and like I said my mom is Buddhist and it's been really cool to have both her and my dad's like intro to meditation and um just kind of like that an automatic permission to explore that those that path and those tools and so yeah it's not like a a practice is like too nice of a word for what I do but (laughs) it's like makes it sound like I'm like uh yeah devout in some way but you're just chilling no I'm just chilling I'm definitely it's like very much in response to just like trying not to 
be uncomfortable in my in my life you know (laughs) (laughs) I also must add that earlier you said god and did quotation marks and um and I was like she knows we're on a podcast nobody can see those (laughs) I just felt weird because I was like oh I don't ever say god out like I don't say the word god when I'm just talking and I was like I feel weird yeah you hesitated and then the quotation marks came out I I just yeah I was like because I don't know it's a touchy subject well and I'm like I guess part of my belief is that if there is a power greater than me, I don't feel like I fully, I don't know. I don't feel like I can label it because it, that word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and sometimes means harmful things to people. I will, I'll put a disclaimer just before you say God, I'll yeah. put your whole sentence just right there of explaining <laughs> Of explaining what you meant, and then we'll continue on. The, yes, the, just it's the, the the editing process is is marvelous. Did you see my my laptop just fell down completely? Anyway, um, so another one of your fabulous songs, which isn't, if I'm correct, it hasn't been released, um, you know, formally in the sense of Spotify and such, is he's not free. Yes, I'm gonna scoop this really quick. <laughs> oh, gone more personal. okay sorry yeah so no 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 of course and I'm also conscious of the time I mean it's a good thing when you look at the time it's it's suddenly gone but um it's not good when you've touched upon like one topic that you're supposed (laughs) to (laughs) speak about um but yeah so he's not free more on the sense of the haunting realization and depiction of racial discrimination and police brutality I mean it was very you know when it because it was it came out as a live session during the time when police brutality was really being spoken about black lives matter protests were happening very frequently and rightfully so um can you kind of go into a bit of what i mean besides i suppose the obvious what prompted writing such a song and how you went about it I, th- I mean clearly it's just like from a, a white person's perspective of just like the awakening the, the jarring experience of like pulling my head out of the sand and being like wow and feeling at the same time this like you know ang- the anger or whatever anger sadness um, but also the feeling of being tricked um, I, <laughs> I was having, I had an interview with, um, a journalist named Andrea Williams, like around, it was talking about like music and COVID and stuff, but it was around, it was back in the summer of last year. So, and she was like, yeah, I feel, I feel kind of bad for y'all. Y'all been tricked. <laughs> and I was like, um, that's generous of you to say, but like truly there is that because so I grew in Jackson, Tennessee, I went to a Montessori magnet school, which was, I was like one of five white kids. It was primarily black and still at that time, really, it was that Jackson, Tennessee had like not really been fully integrated essentially. Like it was still schools, you know, in Nashville, schools had been zoned so that neighborhoods would mix and this magnet school um it was like so cool um 
you know, February just was like the celebratory month every year. We had um, friends of like Martin Luther King Jr. come to speak uh, and do like an impersonation and that kind of thing. And so it was this wild thing of like my early years kind of being uh, in this, in a school culture of like blackness being celebrated and like learning of Black History Month, it was like an all-month celebration of like different assemblies and not being uh, so obviously exposed to, there were like a couple of, there were comments here and there from, one comment sticks out in my mind, but from a teacher in like the fifth grade. Um, but like, for the most part, I, it was kind of like being sheltered from, for me, you know, not understanding that like things are not equal still so it was like it was kind of yeah sorry it was like a long story but no please go on I'm I'm curious to know what what the um fifth grade teacher said there was this time where I was passing a note back and forth to my uh fifth grade boyfriend Antonio and (laughs) you remember the name yes and um, she snatched it up. I was passing it back to him. And he was like, in the note, okay, this is like, <laughs> in the note, he was like, do you want to have sex? <laughs> and I was like, nine. Was that the note? Yes. Oh, so that's obviously a big Very marker. forward. Yes, very forward. Um, <laughs> clearly, like, we weren't hanging out after, like, outside of school or, like, other, we were just boyfriend and girlfriend in name only. And I wrote back and I was like, no, well, maybe. <laughs> and Miss Miss Teacher snatched it up and she was like, if I knew, well, obviously, clearly it's like, that was a big, I don't know, she was worried. But she, what her, what she said was, if I knew that my daughter was talking about having sex with a black boy, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was just like, what was your initial thought of being nine years old and that, I mean, we see racism in all different ways and um, I think it comes out in all different ways as well in the sense of our memories and our minds and it's so subconscious some of the time. Yes. Uh, but for a nine-year-old, that maybe that was one of the first um, very obvious encounters of racism. Do you remember what your mindset was at the time? Well, I think I was like in total like like shame blackout. <laughs> so I was just like of being, you know, having my note read and obviously I didn't know what I was talking about. I but I, you know, just so just being embarrassed. So that was like a to, you know, the overarching theme of that memory, but that it was like her that and another couple things from her specifically, like she wouldn't let um, black kids sit in her rocking chair. Um, yeah. And sorry, just to clarify that it was a primarily um, black school or? Yeah. And so she was, a, she was a white teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honeysuckle vines. 
All them Georgia voters stood in all day lines. Ooh, tell me he's not free, is he? Ooh, tell me. So that it was kind of like those, that string of memories has started to like kind of resurface in the last couple of years. You said earlier that it, um, you use the phrase pulling your head out of the sand. And I, I find that interesting because when I listened to, when I thought about he's not th- free, after listening to it over a couple of times, it started to feel as though you were talking to yourself in the sense of he's not free. You know that he's not free. As though you almost knew it. But, you know, racism is has been hugely ignored and pushed down in that yeah. sense. Yeah, it started as like a conversation <clears throat> directed. I just like would f- picture different like white male, just like authority figures, teachers, politicians, and women, men and women, but who are in positions of, you know, different levels of power uh, supporting the narrative that racism is a bygone issue, that it's, like, fine now. It's all good. Like, no, there's not racism. And, yeah, it's just like that. It's kind of like the chorus is, like, imagining myself as a kid, even though I was being taught that, like, I I kind of, you know, thought that that elementary school mirrored the world. And so coming to find out as an adult that, like, Nashville is very segregated, um, like, neighborhood-wise, you know, it just like it's kind of like me as a kid and as an as myself now like looking to the whatever authority people and then also yeah myself and just like the collective conscious or unconscious like he's not free like be honest say what what is happening and racism affects people in all different ways i know there's a massive thing of if you're white you kind of it can be intimidating to talk about racism and race for some people and I've heard that a lot of people are like well it doesn't have anything to do with me so I feel like I can't add to the topic and it also it has everything to do with white people it has everything to do with with human beings just full stop before we you know categorize ourselves into different groups and how is somebody supposed to have a positive racial identity when they take themselves out of the topic of race and racism. Yeah. And I was just wondering how your racial, your experience of your racial identity was growing up in the South. Uh, I don't think I was aware of, of it until, you know, like recent years essentially realizing um how different you know especially the last year of like there's all these amazing like initiatives in town um like Gideon's Army which is like a community in like in like a a option as part of like a defund the police movement and kind of separate from the movement but part tied in, you know, like community resource policing in that policing in that way of just like 
air quotation marks again. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> For policing. Uh, um, yeah. And, you know, and just really realizing, truly, just not realizing that, like, oh, things aren't just, like, this this way for no reason. Mm. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. Um, that, like, yeah, that there's not, like, a black neighborhood and a white neighborhood, or like, you know, for no reason. It's an interesting one because it's it's both being aware but we may be aware but it's taking ownership of the of the experiences as well and of the of the oppression in a sense not not taking ownership as in this is completely my fault um right you know there's nothing I can do except for feel guilty for the rest of my life ownership of the sense of this has been going on people have been suffering there has been huge amounts of discrimination and, and torture towards groups within society and in in this case ethnic minorities and what can we do as a society as a as a community as a group of people to now start to change that yeah yeah and just re- realizing like i think that was a big shift that occurred in 2020 for a lot of people of like, oh, <laughs> like it comes down to the individual roles that we all play. Um, and it's not just like we just continue to operate in the way in the way that we have been in the in the track that has been laid out. Uh, the lyric and all of them Georgia voters stood in all day lines. I thought that was, I mean, you, you pointed out a few moments that have happened in history and that were being displayed, uh, George Floyd, the shooting and the police brutality. And, and this, the Georgia voters moment as well, is such a huge moment in history and fighting against voter suppression in Georgia and the massive celebration that came from that in regards to how many people voted. Did that affect you how was how was the mood in I'm assuming you were in Nashville during the time yeah that that lyric I guess came from like after the um primary where it's like you know within the party you decide who's who the candidate's going to be um and so that was when you know it was right around that time I think George Floyd had just been killed Brianna Taylor, and I'm a part of this organization in Nashville called Please Vote Nashville that my friend uh, Tristan Gaspaderic started a few years ago as like a DIY voting initiative to like register people to vote at shows and stuff. And we've moved online, obviously, but yeah, just learning that like Tennessee, it's there's all just learning the great lengths. Uh, leaders in the south have gone to mm-hmm. oppress voters um and it was a stark image as well the the image of so many people voting and staying out all day as you mentioned to make sure that they get their voice heard i think it was what, what was it um 800,000 voters um were registered and it changed it from from 1972 it changed from a red state for the first time to to a blue yeah. state and if that's what's, you know, there's a candidate that ran for um, 
for Senate in Tennessee named Marquita Bradshaw. And she is a Memphis native. And her campaign, one a large message of hers was that Tennessee is not a red state. Tennessee uh, is a blue state. Or is a, and also is a state that where it was like something like 76% of eligible voters in Tennessee do not vote. So, because there's just like, it's, it's very difficult to vote. It's very difficult to get information about voting. Um, it's like, you're not automatically registered. There's like, so, you know, if you change addresses, even within the same city, you have to like re-register to vote so many days into like ahead of time. So it's like, but so many tiny, tiny things. Yeah. And so like people, I think also there's a, a widespread belief that like our vote doesn't, your vote doesn't matter. And you know, so it's like, um, propaganda, propaganda. Yeah. Pushing back. And, but I found it interesting how you merged, um, within the song. Oh, he's not free. You merge the two, the imagery of a classroom at eight o'clock with police brutality. Elementary classrooms all across the south on the television murder by policemen pledges of allegiance come from baby's mouths That, like, specifically I don't know, not to be to give it give it all away or whatever, but the uh, the elementary school that I went to, we listened to Whitney Houston's version of the um, Star Spangled Banner every morning over the intercom, and like uh, like from the Super Bowl, it was like <laughs> you know this like incredible epic performance and then we said the pledge and to me it was just like imagining all the kids being be imagining myself that's specifically like the most the most concise way I think I can get to that point is like the juxtaposition of celebrating black lives in that school while racism is like rampant and also within the school and I didn't wasn't aware you know it was like just you know blew my mind that's insane though I I didn't I didn't obviously know it was from that experience I thought it was from the general experience of of primary schools um or elementary schools but I am very, very aware that we've gone over time. Thank you so much. I think I'll leave it there. But first, how is the new music going? Uh, excuse me. <coughs> Got like a speck of dust in my throat. <laughs> Princess on the pee over here. Um, I guess what I can say at the moment is that we're shooting for the fall for a new record to come out, like early fall, I think. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make a record in California at the end of this month. So that's probably what I can say at the moment. <laughs> are there are there like interesting topics? Oh yes, 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 I think for me this record, I tweeted a while back, like a year ago or something, that 
I was like, my next record is going to be my least personal work yet. Because, <laughs> like, you know how it's all, yeah, it's always like, this is my most personal album, my most <laughs> honest, introspective album. And, like, obvious, you know, just kind of, like, the emotional heaviness of the last record. Um, you know, I, you can't, you know, I can't stray too far from talking about emotional stuff, but I think t- this next record for me is, like, going to be more about just living in that se- self-acceptance and uh, living in self-acceptance and also living more out in the world, yeah, is reflective of, like, the next chapter. And that's lovely. It's the lovely way to end the podcast. But, yeah, thank you so much for Thank you for so speaking. much for having me and knowing, like, just asking such amazing questions is such a pleasure. But I do want to know what your, your music, is it your name, Maya Callie? Yes, it is. I might be changing my name soon but yeah it is at the moment Maya Kelly and yeah yeah, you can have a sneaky peek if you want you have been listening to the wonderful Erin Ray and myself Maya Kelly go and check out the songs spoken about in today's episode Erin really does have an amazing voice songwriting style and musical knowledge but yes I will catch you at the next one bye